Love Talk Radio. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Sick 
just a club. Original one. Take us up with the club. East of town, let's keep this town. Take us up with the club. Take us a cake. Take us up with the club. Original one. Erasing away all the strife Telling our tales with verbal mail Putting honey on the blade Creating language to persuade Share who we've always been Always a blessing, never a sin We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop And we don't stop Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth So we echo her call And always walk tall we're hip to the world, so we create black pearls that everyone can wear, that everyone can share. We can't live in despair, so we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. host, Brother Africa. It's always an honor and a privilege to come to your homes this evening where we speak to the powerless and the powerful based on truth. As they once stated, they will set you free. So tonight, we're going to continue our discussion on U.S. and Crimes Against Humanity, Part 2. We'd like to encourage our listeners that they can participate as well by calling in at 323-679-0841. Who we take on that major theme, like always, they introduce to you our political panelists and analysts Followed by our first segment, what's going on in your world and the community. And we hope to have a special guest sometime during this program where you can talk about some interesting work 
that he is doing. So that's the nature of our program, the order of our program, and what we're going to do at this point in time is to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today, and we're going to start off with Brother Anthony, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the World. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father and Brother Anthony, we're going to now bring in Brother Haki, and we're going to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Oh, yes. Uh, thanks Haki. for having me, Brother Brother Africa. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki. And, of course, you know my thing is all about institution building. Uh, but certainly one of the things that is key in terms of institution building is whole question around, you know, the um, uh, how power is actually used in the society. There's a great misconception in the society that, in fact, that the, that the president somehow controls the economy. And because we think the president controls the economy, we look upon a single individual to actually remedy any con- any concerns we have with respect to the economy. So one of the things I want to briefly do is talk a little about this mythology around the question in terms of presidential power as it relates to overseeing the economy. I think it's important people understand that it's a mythology and that we have to begin to understand our thinking. You know, that to think that the president somehow controls the economy is extremely disingenuous. Now, one of the biggest fallacies promoted by the U.S. establishment is the president controls the U.S. economy, in particular inflation. Recent polls indicate three-fifths of Poland's believe Biden is responsible for the economy, economic deals confronting the country. While 79% of Republicans agree with this assessment, 88% of Democrats appreciate the complexity of the system, reasoning the president cannot be solely responsible for a capitalist system that elevates capital above political deliberation. Alan Greenspan, non-critical of free markets, once taunted the power of the Federal Reserve to manage economic affairs irrespective of anything the president says. In this regard, Greenspan points out the president is mere figurehead, creating the perception the presidency represents the interests of the people, concealing the fact economic decisions are often made to the exclusion of presidential input. Capitalism institutions are specifically designed to advance the interests of capital, and the president's role is subordinate. The reality is presidential power is only elevated when the power is used to advance the interests of powerful elites. This statement is axiomatic and true in lieu of recent economic decisions that have made not just greatly undermined the economy, but facilitated inflation to such a level the unraveling of the economy is assured. Insured. Specifically, I'm referring to the sanctions imposed by the U.S. that had, has had devastating repercussions for both the U.S. economy and the global economy. In fact, the sanctions are so counterproductive the Office of Foreign Asset Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, which oversees sanctions, provided exemptions for U.S. businesses doing businesses in Russia. These exemptions are directly a result of weak export shortages as a result of U.S. sanctions, which have seen an unprecedented level of inflation affecting food prices. Now, as sec- now sanctions by the U.S. have had some success on smaller states, and the level of inflation impacting the U.S. economy was negligible. Similar U.S. sanctions imposed upon larger states historically have failed, but despite this precedent, the U.S. has chosen to proceed with sanctions against Russia despite awareness of the inevitable. As a consequence of U.S. sanctions, both the U.S. and global economy have taken a big hit. 
Repercussions from U.S. sanctions have exacerbated runaway inflation, global food and energy shortages, <clears throat> exposing asset bubbles in the U.S., increasing debt levels in, global, in the global south, and supply chain disruptions. Laying the blame solely on one person for the economic ills is to diminish the culpability of the capitalist system that is incapable of thinking long-term. While it may be less traumatic to blame the president, presidency, the, the very system that undergirds these disruptions must be highlighted if there's any hope of a sane economic world in the future. In the U.S., Office of U.S. Trade Representative advises the president and U.S. trade investments. The organization represents the most powerful business organizations in the U.S. and represented in the president's executive staff. The most immediate concern would be why in a purported democracy would powerful corporate interests hold an office in the White House when economic planning by big business is supposed to be implemented free of political consideration. The fact the U.S. Trade Representative played a decisive role in facilitating the deindustrialization policy of businesses relocating abroad speaks to the power of bureaucratic interest and labor to the interests of capital, <clears throat> not the country, not the country's interests. Does the president have the power to, to annul decisions made in the interest of economic elites? No, not at all. The Constitution stipulates the president lacks authority over trade, that business is free to pursue its self-interest, even if that self-interest creates economic instability or social inequality for all states involved. While the president has constitutional power over foreign affairs, that power is greatly conscripted when compared to economic decisions. Economic decisions made by presidents inevitably benefits the wealthy, seldom the masses of people. Media narratives extolling the virtue of economic policy benefiting the masses only seeks to conceal the real beneficiaries of presidential directives are really the wealthy when viewed through the prism of economic policy and trade and the limitation of imperial presidency. Now, the limitations of presidential power is implicit in understanding the inability of the president to combat economic ills sweeping the U.S. In the case of soaring oil and gas prices, capitalism structures prevent president intervention. Indeed, the functioning of the stock market maximizes economic gains for the wealthy while it impoverishes the economy of the state of the state by over-concentrating wealth among the very wealthy. One such method used by the stock market is the use of oil futures investments instruments. Oil futures are economic contracts between buyer and seller to produce a commodity, in this case oil, at a fixed price. Investors figured out by purchasing large values of oil futures through another instrument called derivatives, they could actually influence the price of oil and or gas. Typically, speculators like major investment firms, large banks, and billionaires would purchase oil future derivatives at prices above market rates, increasing the value of the derivatives, compelling oil companies to eliminate and or reduce the amount of oil for sale. By holding the oil, these oil companies avoid large payouts and dividends. By creating a scarcity of oil, the manufacturer shortage, <coughs> manufacturer shortage of oil increases the value of oil, on the market, netting high dividends for institutional investors, but artificially creates high prices for oil and gas that continues to, to, to rise, <coughs> fueling inflation. Ironically, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, established to prevent speculation using computerized design, was ineffective. This design, along with a pliable or corrupt Congress, passed legislation to defame the CFTC, ultimately saw the end the department being totally ineffective by the year 2006. As a result of congressional malfeasance and a constitutionally mandate of a powerless president, derivatives now account for 62.58 billion contracts with a 34% increase this year alone. In part, derivatives will account for U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio of 125%.
just to put that in perspective, when you talk about 7% of GDP to debt ratio, you talk about economy that's in decline. While at the same time, interest payments accounting for 3.6 of GDP or $1 trillion less than 10 years the U.S. must, must pay out. Greenspan was correct in 2008 when he acknowledged the shortfalls of free market capitalism and the role derivatives play in fundamental inflation and social inequality. With a rudimentary understanding of systems, a small role played by presidents to affect economic change, the question remains, what can be done to minimize the impending tragedy as powerful elites, powerful economic elites, seek to curtail growing economic discontent? Clearly, their strategy is to divide and conquer based upon ethnicity, gender, and sexual orientation. Can any strategy be devised by presidents to circumvent this, their plans over history simply repeat itself? And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, including the illustrious past uh, panelists, uh, distinguished. And um, my name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I know that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And so the struggle continues to be the struggle to have truth prevail. If truth prevails, the people are going to be free. And um, so this, it's, the, it's only the few who, who, are, who have benefit from this system we're under, and uh, we have to expose it for what it is. And uh, only then, can, when we are conscious people, can we really be free because we have to free our minds first. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. I believe we have here Sister Eleanor. We'd like to welcome her to Africa and the world. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa, to our listening audience and fellow panelists. My name is Eleanor Johnson, and I am Delighted to be here this evening, and uh, uh, strange things are happening. As uh, we know, um, Myra Flores uh, took the 31st Congressional District of the United States and now is the first Mexican-born person, woman, to be uh, in, in the U.S. Congress. And she she says she's pro-Trump, she's anti-immigration, and uh, she's a Democrat's worst nightmare. Thank you so much for having me on the show this evening, uh, Brother Africa. And uh, uh, I just want to say um, uh, four words, and that is uh, love, uh, respect patience and faith when we love we 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 respect mother earth in everything and everyone on mother earth 
And when we have patience, we find beauty and joy in each day. And when we have faith, we know that we can bring about change uh, in, in our life. And we never doubt it in moving forwards and never backwards. So thank you so much, Brother Africa, for having me this evening. We thank you, Sister Eleanor, and our next participant. I'm call out the last four numbers so you can identify yourself. 0796. 0796. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. 0796. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Okay, I guess we'll continue to move forward. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls. We'll take a rough to that culture break. We're going to use music as a tool for liberation. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going on in your world and the community. And you can join us by calling 323-679-0841. This is Africa on the Move. White. It's an African one.
segment of this program, what's going on in your world and the community. Let's start out with Brother Hackey. What's going on in your world and the community? How are you, Brother Africa? I want to talk a little bit briefly about, I know we got uh, Brother Lewis Wolf in the wings, uh, so I want to talk briefly about uh, forming resistance in an age of mass ignorance. I think this is key that this kind of discussion take place. In event, check us out. Now, rising political consciousness is a formidable task, but a durable challenge. But dissemination of information challenging long-held platitudes 
that conflates patriotism with ignorance is key. And spelling ignorance is no easy gesture, given the media narrative specifically designed to shape perceptions which are in the interest of political elites and their cohorts, the billionaire, the billionaire class. Blaming about clarity is complicated by political elite strategies that are asymmetrical strategies utilizing similar innocuous organizations that work behind the scene to disempower the citizenry while elevating legitimacy, legitimacy claims by elites that systematically disadvantage the needs of the citizens unbeknownst to the populace. In addition to the asymmetrical character of the war being waged against the populace, strategies used by the elites tend to be two-pronged attacks where politicians and billionaire class work cohesively in a tactical manner to achieve a single objective, which is to maximize control, thus rendering democracy null and void. This, this two-pronged attack is facilitated in two ways. Methods employed would have the billionaire class take the lead on issues of class, creating the perception their self-interest is in the benefit of the masses. So when billionaires advocate for tax cuts for themselves, they do so in the interest of the masses because lower taxes transforms into more employment and higher wages. Of course, the exact opposite is true. Tax cuts for the wealthy results in attaining more assets for the wealthy, fueling inflation while hiding additional wealth so as to avoid taxes the real economy needs for price stability, revenues, and economic growth. On the other side of the coin, politicians conduct cultural wars with the stated aim to form divisions among the masses, employing a consistent theme, that theme being the majority are in danger of losing out if political change continues to be enacted. In this context, it's easy to see why attacks on critical race theory, 1619 Project, or abortion rights resonate with many on the right. When Peyton Gentron alluded to the Great Replacement, he was responding to a well-established trope established by right-wingers, well aware of right-wing insecurities, but about declining capitalism. Playing upon insecurities of the right-wing is an effective strategy. According to Pew Research, societal change, not economics, resonates with working-class whites. Working-class whites those without college degrees, constituted by a third of the population, voted for Trump in part for the populist rhetoric of reclaiming America. Trump was able, according to the report, to tap into the angst among many who regard to the economy. <clears throat> who regard to the economy, these factors were highlighted by the report, underscoring the level of anxiety in U.S. society. They were one, anxiety around cultural change; two, American decline resulting from immigration; and three, the possibility of upward mobility. While these concerns are extremely subjective, none seem to take into consideration the social conditions right-wingers rail against are conditions created and supported by political elites like Trump. This is not to say these factors are, legitim are legitimate, specifically the indictment of the immigrants, but they do address the systematic failure of the economic system to address rudimentary concerns of democracy and the role that democracy plays. Unlike most whites, conservative and liberal, who understand Trump's interest does not lie with the interests of poor and working-class people, 64% of self-identified conservatives are content to transfer their economic roles onto others, specifically non-white individuals. Implicit in this thought process is the notion of others as the source of the problem. This dichotomy of us versus them increases the magnitude of political manipulation, diverting focus away from a system whose short-term interests could never accommodate the interests of humanity. In the spirit of proclaiming humanity, it appears indispensable a redefining of humanity should take place that acknowledges commonality among humans and in the process bestow human dignity on human beings irrespective of frivolous claims. Historically speaking, Fidel Castro of Cuba, Muammar Gaddafi of Libya, Hugo Chavez of Venezuela all advocated the biological importance of or at least acknowledging the African genotype and the African blood in all of us. By making this declaration of African blood in all of us, 
provisions imposed to divide and justify exploitation cease to have legitimacy, clearing the way for a more just and humane society. If liberals in America adopted this banner, at the very least, the questions around the origins of humans, much of the legitimacy around racism could be delegitimized, and the intrinsic value of all humans could be established, greatly weakening capitalist's blessed interest in promoting racism, or certainly, at the very least, minimize highlighting its absurdity. The ramifications of the strategy does not only pertain to general implications, but has specific implications for white America. And in case an economist used the term depth of despair. The term is used to point out the increasing level of social pathology impacting the white community in terms of suicides, drug, overdo- drug overdoses, and alcohol-related diseases. These maladies are the direct reaction to economic dislocation or movement of businesses abroad, declining wages, cost of food and shelter increases, and U.S. policy justifying sanctions in an attempt to strengthen imperialism. These melodies, no doubt, will proliferate because the conservative doctrine that elevates low taxes for the rich, deregulation or corporate head with unlimited power, privatization or profits only for the very, very wealthy, and reduced government spending, which impoverishes the masses for the points for the purposes of making exploitation easier. Now, support of right-wing policies are clearly antithetical to the interests of people and working-class people, and in particular working-class whites. But with the rise of evangelical influences, such policies are embraced increasingly. Breaking away from such endorsement requires a different paradigm that does not embrace the idea some individuals are inherently deserving while others are not. In understanding the origin of human, the process of evolution applies to us all, and as such, does not place a certain class of human above others. This certainty is a message many conservatives could certainly benefit from. And I close from that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Next, we will move to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Uh, a few things, uh, Brother Africa. Uh, Zimbabwe is uh, selling uh, gold coins in order to uh, to offset the, inf- the the effects of inflation uh, in that country. Uh, the uh, the reason for that is that inflation is about uh, 92% in that country now. And that's because of the sanctions uh, enacted by the imperialist countries against uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, let's see, also... Um, the U.S. government is stepping up its attacks on uh, on uh, Cuba's uh, uh, internal uh, policy, uh, and this usually coincides with the uh, 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 coincide with the anniversary of the Mankada, uh the anniversary of the Mankada, uh, uh attacks which uh, made weapons available to the masses of uh, Cubans living in Santiago. And uh, this is a national holiday in Cuba, and it's usually commemorated July 26th every year, and has been since the victory of the Cuban Revolution. And uh, let's see... um, and also uh the level of violence against uh Africans in the US is continue uh, is continuing to rise uh 
um, you know, there was an, uh, uh, an assassination of another African uh, recently. Uh, no, actually, I think it took place in Akron, Ohio, a few weeks ago. And uh, there are repercussions uh, from that. Uh, that's uh, it for right now. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Going from Brother Anthony, we can go to our sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, as Brother Anthony said, the continuous aggression and violence against uh, Africans in the United States, but also um, the uh, militarization of the uh, uh, society. We see the militarization of the police with these uh, these incredible weapons that are only used in war um, now being used in in police uh, uh, stations around the country. The special face ID and uh, these uh, incredible armor-piercing um, uh, weapons. Um, in addition, we see that in security increase, uh, your local security guard uh, is not only walking around your supermarket or your drugstore, he's walking around uh, bearing arms. So we see uh, increased uh, militarization of um, our society. Uh, in addition, we see the corona pandemic is still uh, having a tremendous impact on uh, planet Earth, and uh, we see increases in the coronavirus here in the United States, as well as something called monkeypox. And uh, allegedly, uh, the Chinese economy is also being affected by the coronavirus. The other concern is, of course, the uh, war, um, as Brother Haki said, uh, b- between the Ukraine and Russia and the tremendous impact that's having and how uh, the capitalists are really using that to gouge. And the intention that uh, the Europeans have of uh, reducing the prices they pay for gas and oil from Russia down to commodity prices. And you see the struggle right now in Senegal. Uh, There seems to be some struggle in Senegal, and there's a debate about whether or not they should go off the CFA or select another currency. So there are a lot of things going on, as well as I I had mentioned, Myra Flores being... um, the first Mexican-born woman to be elected to Congress, and uh, she took that uh, uh, position after the uh, Democrat uh, resigned in March, and it was a special election. So it didn't take many votes because the folks didn't really come out and vote. So you can really see how important it is to vote. And she, as I said, she said she's the Democrat's worst nightmare and how great a guy Trump is. But when asked about pertinent questions, uh, voters' rights, affirmative action, uh, the environment, uh, she she had no comment. So that's it. And uh, looking forward to a great show this evening. And 
thank you so much once again, um, Brother Africa, and to, to fellow analysts for allowing me to join you this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We now make our transition to Brother Moses. What's going on in your world and the community? Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Let's see. The theoretical victory of Marxism forces opportunists to cloak themselves in Marxist closing. Yet the struggle remains between the correct path and the incorrect path. The existence of the state is recognition that there is class struggle internal, internally. In, internal contradictions are decisive for change, as Mao points out in On Contradiction. As for the economic crisis, we must never forget that it is a political economy. Real people engaging in real activities that determine how goods and services are divided between them. Politics determines economics, always has and always will. Therefore, who is in control of the state makes a big difference. And this, this Tuesday is the 43rd anniversary of the Sandinista Revolution in Nicaragua. And... Um, um the the um the Claire Jones School for Political Education held a held a little soiree yesterday um uh, at the Boulevard this Boulevard um uh, Simon de Boulevard statue down there at eighteenth and C Street. Northwest Washington D.C. and it was uh, the Eagles gathered and it was it was quite a uh, 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 momentous uh, event uh, celebrating the 43rd anniversary of the Sandinista Revolution and also celebrating the victory uh, in in in, in Colombia of the leftist government and um, the, the Nicaraguan ambassador. From Nicaragua um, spoke uh, about the, some of the accomplishments of the Nicaraguan Revolution, and um, it was a very, very um, good uh, occasion to be a, be in attendance. Uh, I was glad I was able to make it. And so, meanwhile, uh, the struggle continues. Uh, um, the January sixth committee. I'm hoping that they will continue their work and continue to delve into the the, the concrete situation, concrete analysis, concrete conditions, and expose Trump for what he is. And uh, hopefully the De- Department of Justice will take action. It will be so blatant that they cannot ignore it. And um, those are the main things going on in my world. There's so much going on, but uh, I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and what we're going to do is we will continue this segment, what's going on in your world and the community, when we come back from this Rebel Spirit Culture break. And one of the questions I'd like to have for our listening audience, as well as our panelists, is this question of looking at all of this information that's coming out um, as relates to the so-called, um, what I'll say, attempted coup against the so-called U.S. government. Have you heard enough evidence to tie in Donald Trump and convict him 
as someone who attempted to overthrow the so-called U.S. government. What do y'all make of this? Is there enough evidence? Is there enough evidence to the victim? We'd like to hear your position on that. And listen, audience, when we return, this is Africa on the moon.
before the shit start. Before it get dark, before they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crib walk, crib walk. Real talk, smoke, push, and push, then we peel off. Nigga still running with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, leave that boy alone, like I'm alone. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president, you got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours, did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns, they trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your vape sticks, let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I took back my eyes, and all black tonight, that's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal, no, I'm a seminal, yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical, this was Mexico, now everywhere I go is owned by Mexico. Fuck them, fuck them and the rest of you. I turn a fool to a bat I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really wanna make friends. All they want is a Mercedes Benz. All they want is they dividends and decibels. Fuck these citizens. They'll treat us like hooligans. Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair, that's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself clearer than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. They said, arrest the president. You have the evidence. I said, which one? They all were criminals. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. Uh, before we took our break, they said we were acting our political panelists, and you, the listening audience, to weigh in on the situation of this ongoing trial 
for sharing so-called information with the public on what took place in the so-called riot, January 16, I believe, in the U.S. as they're seeing the attempt to overthrow the prison process and to keep Donald Trump in power. Based upon what you have seen so far, Brother Haki, is there enough evidence to arrest the president, or is this just a ploy to create a situation where they want to neutralize Donald Trump so he cannot run again? And like always, play while they continue to be paid. No response, Brother Haki. Here's a very interesting question that you pose, Brother Africa, because one of the things, when we look in terms of all the, the mountains of evidence against uh, Donald Trump, it's clear he should have been indicted a long time ago. There's been great resistance by the Attorney General Garland, uh, Merrick, uh, to actually engage and, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, indicting Trump despite the evidence. Uh, so one has to, one has to speculate on, on some level in, in the sense that, you know, given the fact that all this information, because it exists, and, and leaders or, or authorities refuse to use that information to indict him, it suggests maybe they just want to create a, a climate in which it makes it impossible for him to run for president in uh, 2024. That is it's a distinct possibility, because the reality is that when you talk about the information that's out there in terms of that directly indicts Trump, the information is overwhelming. You know, I simply don't know where to start. I mean, the, 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 the information that the sister gave Hutchinson, the one information she gave in terms of, you know, uh, you know her, 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 you know her having access to the inner sanctum of, of Trump's cabinet, and to talk about, you know, his willingness in terms of the egg on those, those those violent protesters to actually to assist them in terms of going to to the Capitol for the purposes of, of particularly, you know, attacking Mike Pence, speak violence in terms of criminality. Uh, when we talk about this whole January 6th 6 debacle. Also, the mere fact that, you know, you know his allegations in terms of improprieties when it was to, to, to voting, even though all his, all his leading officials told him there was no improprieties in terms of voting, and for him to acknowledge that he realized that, but despite that, according to some of his insiders, uh, despite that information, he proceeded to go ahead with this charge that the, the elections were fraudulent. Uh, so clearly he wanted to to incite the masses of people. And so clearly, you know, uh, there, there are many, many grounds in terms of justifying, you know, bringing charges against him. But the mere fact that they haven't brought charges against him, I suspect, Brother Africa, you may be right. I think perhaps it's just a ruse uh, or just to dissuade him from running for office in 2024. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, what's your assistance on the situation? Is another attempt where we can play while they continue to get paid? Or are they really doing this so they can come up with a basis or to indict or criminalize Donald Trump and keep him from running? Your response? Um, well, from what I've heard from, uh, you know, the media up to this point, I think you're correct, Brother Africa. We're get uh, uh, the people are getting played once again, and uh, this is merely uh, this is going on merely to uh, to make it uh, impossible for Trump uh, to run for presidency again. Uh, I think there's enough uh, enough to uh, raise an indictment. Uh, because his actions or lack thereof put a lot of people in danger. 
of getting hurt or uh, killed. And, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, based upon uh, the evidence that has come to light, he should, you know, uh, be indicted. Uh, but, uh, you know, but uh, given, uh, you know, the political games that are played in Washington, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh and uh you know and uh you know and uh you know is the uh is the uh is the working people that suffer once again because the people that uh that do all those things to uh, you, you know to keep everything flowing they're the ones who suffer at the end of the day so uh, I think uh, I, I think your observation is correct, Brother Africa. All right, Brother Anthony. Thank you. Going to Sister Eleanor. Talk to me, Sister Eleanor. Talk to me. Lead the people. Where are you going to take them on this? Well, um, I concur that uh, this is outrageous. There was a coup de Qatar and an insurgence on the Capitol on January 6th. Um, as sure as President Gustavo Perot and uh, Vice President Francisca Marquez were elected in Colombia legitimately. But uh, Donald Trump has already been impeached twice. And uh, five people died on January 6th. And I think the way the, the poor response we had in January 6th of not being um, firm and strong with those who participated. Remember, we have criminals and we have persons in our prisons that are teenagers that cannot read or write. So the fact that these people were incited by Donald Trump, his collaborators, doesn't matter who incited them. The bottom line is it's the same as these mass murderers who are influenced by social media. They die nonetheless, and they should be in prison, taking a soft line on the persons who participated in the insurgents. The most any of them have received is 42 months in jail, and I find that hard to believe in on its face. And, of course, the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., is the 13th a circuit of the U.S. court system and the fact that it's been so weak in prosecuting these people astounds me uh, as a, a working-class person. But I definitely think that uh, uh, the fact that this president, the former president, has been indicted twice um, and that he's uh, still go- going around saying that the election was stolen. He's still practicing that propaganda. The outcome of the midterms that uh, where his candidates were able to win means that he's a danger to the United States. But whether or not he'll be indicted, I do not know. I just hope, uh, I, as Brother Moses says, we just hope that it'll be so blatant that it will come through. But what's happening now is suddenly there are people who are alleging that Huckabee and the other people were lying and not telling the truth. So that creates a a lot of confusion uh, for uh, the American uh, 
Americans who rely on the media to communicate and tell us what's going on. But the bottom line is everyone just needs to remember what on January 6th, and that was an insurgence, an attack on the capital of the United States, an attempt to take over the government. And so, therefore, all players, including Donald Trump, should be prosecuted and found guilty of their wrongdoings and incarcerated. Whether or not that will happen, I do not know. I think the people are being, as you said, they're being played, as you said, Brother Africa. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Brother Moses, talk to me. Well, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. All right, um, this 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 government um, January sixth investigation is is uncovering a lot of truth and facts. And um, Liz Cheney is. Has been, I think, pretty good in, in in terms of pursuing the interests of Democratic people, and uh, and you know the Donald Trump has proven to be some kind of tyrant, and uh, and obviously the evidence is there, and uh, I know they didn't think Barack Obama was going to be president, but you know that's history, and I think he can. Donald Trump can be indicted and can be found guilty, and uh, and I think you know we have to get on board with that and uh, push for that. And uh, you know, there's a lot of reason to be pessimistic, but but we have to be optimistic too. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. But families, if a person is to be fair and look at the history for the functioning of the Presidential, let's um, say the presidential uh, cabinet is and how it functions as an institution. Truly, talking about singing out one president for committing crimes against the people and not indict all of them. We all held that position. Brother Haki, talk to me. Well, Brother Africa, you raise another very interesting dilemma. Because one of the things we, when we talk about Trump, we can't think about him as an individual. We have to think about him as an institution. And one of the things in terms of institution, when we talk about the presidency, we have to understand there's a certain amount of um, infallibility that's associated uh, with the presidency. In other words, in order for the for horrible things to be carried out, the president must have the power and actually to do that. And so, therefore, you know, historically we talk about the imperial presidency. But one of the things we have to understand in the context of modern times, the imperial presidency is important because, you know, all these horrible things that have to be done, someone has to do it. Now, if someone uh, as a president uh, is held accountable for doing horrible things, then it's going to have a chilling effect on future presidents. So people in position of power understand that the reason why they, they, they really don't want to indict Trump because they recognize that Trump served a very useful purpose, aside from the fact that he enriched the wealthy. I mean, of course, we understand that. But in terms of making a hard call, in terms of doing what the system wants to be get done, Trump was willing to do that. And so in that context, he should be, he should be protected because what happens is that in the future, when, pe- when presidents come to power and how things have to be done, 
they don't have to fear any type of repercussions if they do those horrible things. So this is the fundamental problem that we have. Again, when we, when we talk about the imperial presidency, we talk about institution. See, that's very different from the, president, from the presidency. The institution of the presidency is this is a totally different ballgame. So this is the 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 the, the legal the, the legal the legal uh, 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 the legal area that we get ourselves into in terms of understanding of uh, the legitimacy in terms of bringing charges against this against this thug, because when you think about in terms of the the the, the constitution in terms of how it was established, when you look at the powers of the presidency and you talk about the separations of power between the president, the, the executive, and the judicial, when you talk about these things, you're talking about the power the, the president's powers is actually uh, protected. In that context, you know, it's very difficult to make the case, you know, that somehow the presidency has less power than the judicial or the executive branch, when in fact the Constitution said they're all equally powerful or have an equal level of power. And so therefore, these are the legal questions that uh, these, uh, these uh, authorities have to be concerned with in terms of actually banging charges against them. But don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating the clown shouldn't be indicted. I mean, really, the clown should be indicted. But I'm just saying, from a legal point of view, uh, the question you raised is very, very legitimate. Because when you talk about the president's institution, then it becomes a totally different ball of wax. And so, therefore, therefore, we have to understand that this whole nature, in terms of the imperial presidency, is something that's alive and well in the thinking of, of very, very powerful people in the society, and it's something that certainly very powerful people protect. So we have to be mindful of that. Not close with that. Thank you, Hockey. Brother Anthony, look at the presidency yeah. position as institution. Should all of them have been indicted for crimes against humanity? Actually, uh, uh, you make a, a. I concur with all the points Hockey made. I would add that there were two presidents that were close to being indicted. Uh, Andrew Johnson, uh, back in 1867, if I'm, my dates aren't off, and uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, 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 some of y'all might remember the Watergate scandal that took place uh, during uh, 1973. So, uh it has it, it, it's come close to that, but uh, because of uh, the powers invested in the presidency, it is difficult. But it uh, but it can be done, and uh, there were uh, and and uh, and uh, there were a couple of times it came very close. But um, uh, let's see. I think Andrew Johnson was uh, was voted out of office, and uh, Richard Nixon he resigned. So uh, you know it it, it 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 had never gotten to that point. But uh, you know, but there's a, there's a possibility that that that, that there's certain uh, there's certainly grounds for it. And, uh, but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's up in the air where, where, uh, you know, where this is going to go. And it really depends upon, uh, the stance taken by 
the legislative branch and whether uh and whether they uh you know they have the ability to take an independent enough stance to to to, to do that okay I don't know talk to me. Yeah, um, Brother Africa, I have to concur with uh, uh, the other analysts is that um, there's definitely the evidence that's there. Um, the thing is to keep the political pressure on uh, for the people to keep the political pressure on. And the the legislature, I don't really understand what powers they have uh, to indict. I think it's the Justice Department that would have to have to pick it up and have the moral fortitude uh, to have enough belief in democracy and just a, a democratic government to follow this through and indict Donald Trump and his cohorts. So um, I agree with... Uh, Brother Moses and the other analysts that you just have to hope and that uh, they they will Liz Cheney and her co-chair will push forward and and take this all the way to the Justice Department and the American people will have some resolve in that no one is above the law and should have a right to have a coup against the U.S. government, certainly not a standing president or anyone else. And everyone should remember those gallows that they had there when Donald Trump said maybe he does deserve it. Well, uh, that was for the vice president. So certainly I hope that uh, at the end of this hearing there will be an indictment. Um and it's it's a, it's a hard thing to believe, but I believe it can be done because we saw that Richard Nixon, as Anthony said, he did resign. He left the White House, packed up, pulled the moving van right up in front when Pennsylvania Avenue was still a throughway street in Washington, D.C., and moved out. Now, Trump uh, is unyielding. He's never apologized for any of the atrocities he's caused, and he's never even mentioned the five dead persons and the numerous people injured during that incident. So we just have to hope that uh, we'll see uh, him indicted. And as uh, we were celebrating and talking about the 43rd anniversary of the Sandinistas and talking about the great election in Colombia uh, where, um, you know, they were able to, the the electorate were able to decide that the best president for them was Gustavo Perot and vice president was, friend, uh, I believe it's Francesca Marquez. So should we support the Colombian revolution and so should we to support the indictment of Donald Trump and the cohorts who allowed him to um, 
create the conditions that led to January 6th. He asked people to come to Washington, just as during the George Floyd, uh, the uh, Floyd demonstrations, he asked his people to come to Lafayette Square from the Rose Garden one evening. He asked his people to come out, and he even told uh, the Africans not to worry. They weren't going to get the Africans. They were going to get the white people when his people came out. And we saw the media didn't really cover that. They didn't cover the guys in black knee socks and brown shirts and their neo-Nazi regalia. But they were there, and they were causing destruction, and they set fire to the restroom at Lafayette Square. I watched it with my own eyes. But I'm sure that uh, Anshula, as they say, that, and, and that this, this too can happen. This man needs to be indicted. What can I say? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Thank you, Sister. Brother Moses, is it fair to go for one and don't go for them all? When we look at history, we see where the so institutions are the institutions that plot and plan coups against the world. So if someone tried to do something against them, what is the issue? Talking to Brother Moses, what do you think of this situation? They've got to follow through. They've been uncovering evidence. They've been exposing it. They've been politicizing it. That's all good. It's continuing to struggle. It's a united front against fascism. The Democratic, the Socialists, and the Communists are all for indictment. And uh, and uh, we can we can put up arguments for the other side to become better defenders of the bourgeoisie than the bourgeoisie itself. But we got we have to stand with the with the working class and and demand his, his indictment. And that's what we have to be doing. We have to be demanding it. Uh, uh, power can seize nothing without a demand. And uh, so, you know, this is a united front against fascism, as I said. Thank you. So, panelists, um, I would like to hear your take. I wonder what the rest of the listening world is thinking when they constantly get information on the recent incident in Texas in the school school shooting where many of the uh, children were shot up and the law enforcement refused to go in to arrest or to try to stop the shooter. Recently it came out that they had two, three chances to take the shooter out and prevent further damage among the children, but they refused to do it. What do you think will be the end result of, of, of this particular case, Brother Haki? What do you make of this? The, the, the end result? Uh, well, I think the, the end result has already been achieved. Uh, they fired the, 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 the police chief. Right? I think that's as far as it's going to go. If you expect some kind of deep, deeper resolve in terms of ensuring this doesn't happen again, you can't, you can't be, you can't, there's no way you can be assured of that. Uh, one of the things you got to understand so we got to take into consideration this, this class and racial element in terms of how the U.S. is organized. Uh, one of the things when you talk about, you know, you know, poor, you know, Hispanic children, uh, there is not a great, uh, great desire uh, to see the interests of, you know, poor Latin people uh, uh, lives protected. In that context, those police officers, you know, didn't see an urgency in terms of, you know, stopping that shooter. 
because as far as they're concerned, if those kids were were assassinated, then so be it. Uh, you know, uh, you know, certainly their life doesn't come close um, to the lives of the, of the those children. Lives doesn't come close to the lives of those police officers, and so they made a value judgment in terms of their life versus the lives of those 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 brown children, and they concluded that their lives are not important. So that so generally speaking, when we talk about in terms of how the U.S. is organized, that 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 ethos. That general perception in terms of, you know, what life matters and what life doesn't matter is very much part and parcel of how the United States is organized. And so, therefore, if we think somehow that we're going to eradicate that mindset without the eradication of the system, then we, we're fooling ourselves. Because we understand this is a system in place and we understand that system is self-perpetuating, it makes sure that in its ranks are people who have similar mindsets in terms of this class analysis, in terms of, uh, who's worth it and who's not. And so as long as you have that system in place who validate those people's images of power, then you can anticipate, you can expect that this kind of tragedy will occur again, again, and again. So as far as the solution by the Africa, the best we can hope which has occurred is that the police chief will be fired, and he was. Talk to me, Brother Anthony. What do you make of this situation? How do you think they end up, Brother Anthony? Uh, I think it'll uh, end up uh, after the media attention has died down. It'll be back to business as usual, unfortunately. Uh, Because the only way uh, long-term change is going to occur is if if the people are organized uh, to change uh, the government. And uh, genuine changes will not occur unless the people get organized. Ovalde is a border town. In other words, it sits on uh, the border uh, between Texas and Mexico. And uh, also, uh, also it has a very large concentration of... Uh, police and border patrol agents within that town. And uh so uh you know so uh you know a substantial portion are the police. And uh you know and they showed that that, that they could care less uh for the children of the masses of the people that live there. So, uh, you know, if people want genuine change, they're going to have to organize for it. That's the only way that's going to occur. So, is this a case of taxation without proper representation and protection? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, Brother Africa. What did you say? I was saying, is this... Is this a case of taxation without representation and protection? Looking at those who are supposed to serve, represent, and refuse to carry it out at your expense? Well, you know, when I think of Nevada, Texas, I think of the demonstrations in the 70s, the Chicano demonstrations in the 70s. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we... We we forget our Chicano brothers and sisters who have always lived in the Western United States, um, 
and uh, they were much more radical. They were concerned with labor organizing during those marches, and I and I wonder about the lack of response because as uh, the one little police chief was fired, but as uh, Brother Anthony mentioned, uh, it's a border con- control, a border town, and there's so many different police departments. So I'm wondering what, where was their response and what was their response and uh, whether or not it's uh, uh, representation without taxation is certainly not in the position of uh, the District of Columbia or, or any other colony, but there was definitely, uh, uh, you know, the concern right now in this country, is, as Brother Moses says, is the rise of authoritarianism and fascism. And it seems that people are complicit and willing to accept uh, so much wrongdoing. And um, social media is playing such a large role in, 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 in uh, these crimes. So my question is, why are the, the platforms where this information is being uh, uh, distributed, why are those people not being held accountable? Because it's much deeper than that 18-year-old why why are are uh, the Facebooks and the Twitters and whoever else allows this kind of social media propaganda to be aired where they're telling these youth that they're American heroes when they take out the working class and take out blacks and Jews and Asians and children? Why is no one looking at that? So the issue is authoritarianism. And, and the social media and how we're ignoring what a role it's playing in our day-to-day lives and the suffering it's causing millions of people. So I, I think it's greater than that. And I, I think that there's very little representation for working-class people in this country right now. You know, uh, this we've seen in the last year, uh, new union growth in that we've seen more efforts at growing unions than we've seen in a decade. But that's because the working class is beginning to realize that it's no more, longer a a factory-like economy. It's a service economy. So that means the Amazon workers need to have unions. That means the, the grocery stores need unions, you know, the Trader Joe's, the uh, 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 the Whole Foods, the Starbucks, because it's a service industry. So the issue is whether or not the workers in this country are represented. No, that's obvious in that we don't make housing a human right. We see that housing and housing shortages are just built into the economy. We see homelessness expanding in this nation. We see we have the worst health care of any developed nation. You see this propaganda being fed to the people about the Ukraine and Russia. At least if they would let us tell tell us the truth in the media and let people make decisions, then maybe you would feel like there's some type of representation. So it goes far beyond that one town in Texas, whether or not there's any taxation without representation. Who's paying taxes? Definitely not Jeff Bezos. 
He hasn't paid a dime in taxes since 2009. So the only people paying taxes are the working class, and they're not getting their money's worth. And pretty soon, their money won't be enough to pay for the things we need. The infrastructure in this country is falling apart. We need to rebuild our highways. We need to think about alternative energy and love and respect Mother Earth. We don't have time to stand around and wait a 10 years or five years to get off of fossil fuel and gas. We need to do it right now. So no, no one's being represented. They're not getting their value for the taxes they pay. And it goes far beyond a little border town in Texas, where in 1972 the people were united with workers across the country, the Chicano people. We need to stand firm and know that, no, we're not getting our money's worth. Yes, we're paying taxes, but now the whole damn nation is, was being represented by an authoritarian. We had Donald Trump in the White House for four years. So we need to fight fascism and stand for democracy and the revolutionaries and need to educate folks, get people organized, get people registered to vote, stand firm with affirmative action, voters' rights, and limit corporate. Right now the Supreme Court is getting ready to give the corporations more power. Just last term, they um, session, they, they decided the EPA had no rights to control the air quality or rule on these issues. So right now, there is a national issue of whether or not our Congress is representing the, the interests of the people, and I don't think so. Thank it's you, kind Sister of Thank you, Sister Abnor, Brother Moses. We'll give you the last take on this issue of the school situation. Your thoughts on it? Yeah, um, I, I, the devil's in the details. That's why I'm trying to find out about Obama Trump's death and stuff. Um, this school situation, it's a, you know, the devil's in the details. I, I don't know all the particularities of the timelines and, and, and when the police respond and all that. I haven't I haven't been keeping up as 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 closely as probably maybe I should, but uh, um, they fired the police chief. Uh, uh, obviously, they they feel like there was a, a slow response, and uh, and uh, I accept that uh, uh, from what I know anyway. Uh, and uh, but they they need to. Some kind of training for the all the police department, evidently. I mean, some kind of sensitivity training or some kind of response training. Uh, anyway, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. As you heard, Brother Moses stated, the devil is in the detail. So we got to find out what's going on. And we're going to do that. And when we come back, we're going to make a transition to our theme tonight which is part two, U.S. and crimes against managing. We ask our political panelists and analysts for today to talk about some of the historic, historical acts and crimes that have been committed by the United States government. Many of these crimes that came from this documentary called the United States Government Crimes Against Managing lays out 
thousands of crimes ever since its inception to 2018. We've been talking about some of these incidents, and we'd like for you to join in with us when we come back. You can dial 323-679-0841. So right now, we're going to do what Brother Moses said. We're going to try to figure out the devil in the detail uh, trying to address this question. This question from Brother Rob Marvin when he stated, What's going on? Hey, we'll be right back. Hey, what's up, man? Brother, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Brother, brother, there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Pick it light and pick it fast. Don't punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see. Right. 
negative attitude towards Africa. In San Francisco, on African Liberation Day, Brother Walter Rodney, an African historian, noted both the importance of African Liberation Day in terms of our African identity and some of the root causes for our problem of identification. I have met brothers and sisters who say that their mother tongue, quote unquote, is French, Spanish, Dutch, Portuguese, as well as English, which we speak. And because of this, we have a problem of identification. We do not know whom we are. And that is why this gathering is of great symbolic importance, because it is an act of identification. We are saying that we identify with the African people of the African continent. We are saying that we are an African people. And when we make this identification, have no illusions about the fact that this is a very revolutionary initiative. It is a rejection of every other form of identification which the white society has asked us to accept. Let me draw your attention to something which white universities and white libraries practice. And this is a university community. Numerous universities lie around this land. Go into their libraries and check the Library of Congress cards on the Europe or European. You will find all entries listed concerning the continent of Europe. You will also find entries listed about Europeans in East Africa, Europeans in North Africa, Europeans in Asia and Australia. Look under the Chinese, you will find entries listed not only for mainland China, but for Malaysia and for the Chinese in, in, the, in North America. But look on the Africa and the Africans, the only entries on the Africans relate to the continent itself. There are no entries on the Africans overseas. There is no such category. Africans who have been raped from the continent mysteriously disappear and become Negroes. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We will now go into our segment, part two, U.S. and Crimes against humanity. You know, as we were reading a documentary titled United States Government and Crime Against Humanity, we would like to encourage everyone who hears this program to go and Google this particular um, document up and read it because you wonder about this school of thought or this philosophy where some people believe that if you don't know about the history, then the history doesn't exist. Let me repeat that. If you don't know about the history, then the history doesn't exist. And I thought it really interesting in the document. It has so much history on the behavior of the United States as it relates to humanity. One of the crucial things that it points out is that America has a history and culture of terror, theft, and just outright vicious behavior. 
this is just judge a book by cover. It is what it is. And unfortunately, this is what history says about the history of this particular country. What we'd like to do now go to our political panelists and analysts. Let me start with you, Brother Anthony. When we're talking about this philosophy of if you don't know the history, it doesn't exist, what would you say about that particular philosophy? And can you talk about some of the crimes against humanity that the U.S. government has committed based upon this particular documentary? We'll turn the mic over to you now, Brother Anthony. Ah, thanks, uh, Brother Africa. Um, I would say that philosophy is incorrect, or that philosophical observation is incorrect. Uh, What is more accurate is an observation uh, uh, Brother Kwame uh, pointed out, Brother Kwame Ture pointed out years ago in one of his presentations that uh that if you don't uh if you don't know your history you're doomed to repeat errors and uh and uh, not and a careful analysis of african history uh bears this out uh you know uh because our youth especially don't know our history. Everything that occurs uh, currently seems like a unique event. It really isn't. And, uh, you know, and uh, because we don't know our history, we repeat certain errors. Like relying on the Democratic-Republican duopoly for example, which we have for nearly a hundred plus years. And that is because we don't know the history of repression that those two parties have committed against us. Uh, Let's see, going back uh, to this document, it it points out seven massacres of the indigenous people in section one. Uh, let's see. Um, uh, some more horrific than others. Uh, let's see. I think it was the uh, Bloody Creek Massacre in which they uh in which the indigenous people sustained the most casualties about 400 uh men women and children were killed and uh let's see and that was uh that occurred uh let's see in 18 the Bear River Massacre. That took place on January 29, 1863. And uh, there were were 400 casualties, approximately, in that massacre. Uh, 
the last of these uh, physical uh, genocide attempts took place in 1890 at Wounded Knee in uh, South Dakota. And uh, let's see, and the pattern is that uh, that the indigenous people were killed in all all, all, all sorts of violent ways. Uh, uh, let's see, and the women were subject to sexual assault or rape. Also, in addition to the horrors of watching their children and their husbands uh, die. And uh, in several cases, the uh, young children's heads were bashed in, uh, you know, swung against tree trunks. Uh, The U.S. Army had a name uh, for this uh, braining. And uh, the fact that that they had a name for it indicates that it was a commonly used practice. And uh, let's see. And um, uh, let's see. The pattern was that uh, that men, women, and children were killed indiscriminately. They didn't uh, have. And um, uh, later on, in uh, in another in section two. He goes into some of the other uh, methods of genocide. But this section one deals primarily with physical genocide. In other words, just uh, outright killing people, uh, you know, physically without, uh, you know, regard to age or gender. And, uh, you know, and this was designed to... uh, not only exterminate the indigenous people, but inculcate fear in them of the European. And uh, this continued for uh, uh, for a, a, a couple of centuries ago. And uh, later on, they resort, resorted to uh, cultural and uh, biological genocide. And that is, uh, uh, let's see, uh, the indigenous women and African women as well were subject to forced sterilizations without their consent in order to decimate uh, their populations. And uh, in some cases, uh, children were taken away from their communities and placed in uh, European uh, with European families or European-run foster care systems, where they were stripped of memory of their language, religion, and cultural values, and that is. Um, known as cultural genocide, according to the UN. So uh, uh, let's see, the indigenous people 
were subset to this for nearly uh, uh, 400 uh, some odd years altogether. And uh, Africans about the same length of time. Except the physical genocide we weren't subject to mainly because uh, uh, the exploiters needed our labor. But uh, the other methods of genocide, Africans and the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere were subject to. And that results in the political climate that exists to this day. And uh, to this day, uh, you know, there's some Africans that have a fear of Europeans because of the trauma we've gone through. And, uh, And as I stated earlier, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat errors. And uh, I think that's why it is so important to to teach this history and not to forget about it, as some people want to. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Haki, we'd like for you also to speak to this philosophy or if you don't know your history or if you don't know the history of something, then it never existed. Now, looking at this documentary, I'm looking at this document, Brother Haki. It reminds me of so much as what we see in today as it relates to the terrorism, the brutality, or how the society is treating not only its citizens, but the rest of the world. Can you talk about maybe some of the acts that took place uh, throughout the last 20 years of U.S. history based upon this document? And how does it compare to the behavior? of what's going on today when we look at this society in this country. Your thoughts, Brother Haki? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I, I don't want to revisit the things that Anthony talked about in terms of the brutality inflicted upon indigenous, you know, uh, populations here in North America. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I think uh, what he had to say suffice in terms of understanding the brutality inflicted upon men, women, and children, innocent men, women, and children. But certainly one of the precedents that was established uh, in terms of this propensity in terms of you know, committing crimes against humanity started in 1760 with, with Jeffrey Amherst. Now, Jeffrey Amherst was a British commander of British troops in the U.S. at the time of the founding of the original Guilting Colony. Now, he was the architect behind, you know, trade, trading blankets that's infected with smallpox. So this is back in 1770, 1760s. So the implication is very, very clear that this, this notion in terms of the, that the indigenous people have to go was well established in terms of the mind of military, military leadership here in, in, start, in the beginning of North America. And one of the things that's interesting is that it wasn't until 1763 which actually implemented the policy of, of, of trading blankets infected with smallpox to the indigenous, to the indigenous people. Uh, Colonel Beaufort uh, of, Fort Penn, of Fort Pitt, Pennsylvania, uh, not, he, he not only in, uh, endorsed that policy, but he bragged about the importance of that policy in terms of the ability in terms of infect the Napi population, the indigenous Napi population, indigenous group, the Sawano indigenous group, and the Mingwe tribe indigenous group. And this was back in 1763. But what is interesting.
interested in terms of why history is so important is that had the, in, the indigenous people understood the history of the West in terms of prison, in terms of deception, dishonesty, and war, and brutality, then they would have been on guard not to engage in trade with the West, particularly, uh, of this, the, particularly the Spaniards, subsequently the British, subsequently the, the Americans, in terms of their in terms of their their uh, 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 in their, their tendencies to engage in such uh, uh, atrocious kinds of behaviors. Uh, one of the things you know when we talk about in terms of the crime of against American, we talk about digital population and African population as well. We have to talk about well, particularly when we talk about digital population in terms of the genocide uh, inflicted upon them. You know, most people don't realize by the 1900s. There was closer. There was only about 250,000 indigenous people left on the entire North American continent. 250,000 people left out of all of those indigenous groups. Now, this is a process that started with the Spanish, Spanish colonialists back in the 1600s, and of course, it was a it was a it was a process that was continued ultimately by the British and by the Americans in terms of this wholesale slaughter of indigenous people. Now, when we talk about the, the methodology employed to commit genocide, what is it? Well, I think this, for this point, is particularly key when we talk about the kind of genocide, not just inflicted against indigenous people, but the genocide inflicted against African people, or Hispanic people, or, or, or Latin people. Uh, the kind of methodology employed is very, 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 very clear. Uh, one, it was ma- they used massacre in order to, to, to carry out the genocide. Forced migration, of course, uh, is very, very clear. We talk about digital population in terms of the forced migration. So we talk about the, the, the trail of tears in terms of people walking literally, you know, um, thousands of miles in terms of being resettled, you know, from their original original place of inhabitants. Also, um, imposed salvation. salvation. And this is very, very important, particularly for indigenous people and the African population. Uh, when we talk about imposed salvation, one thing you got to be very, very clear on, historically speaking, uh, when, when you impose salvation on someone, not only is it a, a crime of crime against humanity, but, but it's done purposely for the intent to actually eliminate or remove that particular population. When you talk about the indigenous population in terms of being put on these, 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 these what, is, what is essentially concentration camps, when you talk about putting them in those concentration camps and not have them access to food, then you make a is consciously what you're trying to do is starve them to death, and in, in fact, when you talk about only 250,000 people remaining, it, it achieved its purpose. When you talk in the context of Africans in terms of salvation, even in the context of modern times, when you look at it in terms of you know even during Jim, even time of when we were enslaved, when our people were enslaved, and you look in terms of not having access to food, uh, clearly the the implication was that uh, death was preferable to actually treating people humanely. And so salvation is one of those methods they use in terms of bringing about the death of a lot, a lot of people. And certainly one of the things in terms of Africans' ability to, 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 uh, to uh, uh, survive despite uh, the atrocities inflicted upon them in terms of not having access to food, it's one of those mysteries even today a lot of historians marvel at because they, in their, in their, in their estimation, felt that African people, given the horrid treatment that African people uh, had to deal with, should be alive today. Also, one of the methodologies in terms of when we talk about genocide, we know, of course, enslavement is a given, but as, but as Anthony alluded to, he talked about you know, biological genocide. Now, of course, between 1960 and 1970, biological genocide was practiced ex- extensively. Now, mass, bi- mass, I'm sorry, biological genocide is simply mass sterilization of, of indigenous women 
Now, it's interesting. When we talk about mass sterilization of indigenous women, they also employ mass sterilization, not just indigenous women, but also against African women or and Latin or Hispanic women as well. And so, so this tendency in terms of reducing numbers, it seems to be a real preoccupation with those in terms of uh, with this imperialist mindset uh, uh, who feels that uh, somehow uh, people of color constitute a, 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 a existential threat to their existence. Now, according to the, uh, the, 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 the women of all rare nations, W-A-R-N, 42% of indigenous women were sterilized. And that had major implications, you know, for the population, also for their community. Because essentially what happens when we talk about the sterilization of indigenous women, we cannot exclude the whole focus on population control policy implemented by the United States. Now, this whole population control policy in the United States has been around for quite a while. Between 1920 and 1970, it was at its heyday. Um, it, <clears throat> now, interestingly enough, this United States population control policy was implemented at the time the economy was stable and there was no scarcity of resources. So why was it necessary to control the land? Well, clearly it was necessary to control the land. You control the land, you control the event. You control what happens on the land. And so by controlling the land, it certainly makes it easy in terms of execute exploitation. Uh, it certainly makes it easier to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to enslave. It certainly makes it easier to starve people if you control the land. But one thing that's interesting, and I have to digress, I think it's important people get this, this message in terms of when we talk about the necessity of history. Uh, back in 1798, Thomas, Thomas Mathis, uh, you heard of the Mathusian theory, any of Thomas Mathis, who was a clergy, uh, among many things, uh, back in 1798, was the first to uh, first to advocate or advocate uh, the uh, that um, the, the, the that the, is important in terms of limiting the number of people on the planet. In other words, Mathis says that there's never enough food to keep up with the human population. Now, but keep in mind when we talk about in, and so in seven, so we talk about in 17. 1760, and we're talking about plenty of land, plenty of opportunity for all involved. There's still this question in terms of, in terms of, you know, human population being a threat uh, to to develop or the of land being a threat to human beings. It's one of those nefarious notions that if, even in there you have to partner and say, what is really behind this kind of thinking? Perhaps uh, Martha's uh, motivation had less to do in terms of, you know, enough land to provide for people's uh, needs. Perhaps I think what he was saying, given the fact that he was a clergy in England, I think what he was saying is that there's never enough land for the white ruling class in terms of being able to 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 to, to profit off of. So I think that was his real motivation because the, the question in terms of number of people on the land uh, didn't come close in terms of creating the possibility for scarcity or or or, best, or, or, or or problem in terms of, you know, uh, uh, accessing resources from the land. So clearly that wasn't a real motivation. So clearly there were other considerations. And it goes hand-to-hand in terms of crimes against humanity because of your position is that you have a, 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 a God-given right in terms of having access to the land uh, to the exclusion of all others. And what you do to others is, is not important simply because what is more important is control of that land. Now, also, you know, um, you know, also in terms of, you know, when we talk about the population control policy, we, you know, also, you know, between 1941 and 1961, you know, 85% of indigenous people were placed in 
non-indigenous homes. Now, what does that say in terms of in terms of the impact on terms of you know not only population, but also in terms of the expansion of of, of, of culture? These are children who are put in, in non-indigenous homes who know nothing about that the, the, the children's culture, and nothing about the language they speak. So all of those things get lost. But essentially, what happens is you end up creating uh, people who are who are who are uh, uh, carbon copies. You know, of of, of 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 white people in terms of the culture, how they see the world, and uh, and uh, and the way things get done. So, if you contrast that in terms of African people in America, and you look at it in terms of the, the the value system a lot of us hold, it's a direct reflection in terms of our enslavement to the extent that we internalize a lot of those same destructive values that our oppressors had. So, our oppressors exploit, we exploit. Our presses use, we use. Our, our presses take advantage of, we take advantage of. So we, we internalize all those values, and so that's the, the direct result in terms of in terms of, of policy, uh, uh, in terms of the need to control um, uh, pop, control control the population. Now, when we talk about in terms of U.S. pervasiveness, in terms of the ability of the wage war around the world, there's not a place on the globe the U.S. has in in in, 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 in uh, did and was responsible for some type of infraction of, 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 of humanity's laws or the right or the, or the goodness of humanity. Uh, when we talk about, whether we talk about Africa, when we talk about uh, Central South America, the Middle East, the Caribbean, uh, the Polynesian area, it doesn't matter what you talk about. All these areas, regions of the world have been infected by uh, U.S. policy, particularly as it relates to crimes against America and America's ability to inflict harm and pain or certainly injustice upon people around the world. Now, one of the things, you know, uh, when we talk about crimes against America, we can't exclude the whole question around uh, torture. Now, one of the things, you know, back in 20, 1941 between 1961, uh, I'm sorry, between 1899 and 1946, uh, the U.S., in terms of military intervention in the Philippines, were responsible for torturing and killing many, many Tonsan people and Maro people. Uh, and it was very interesting. And you think about, you know, the kind of uh, re- response from people around the world in terms of the atrocities being committed. Uh, you would think that the, the American government would say, listen, given the atrocity that, that, that took place between 1899 and 1946, we learned our lesson. We're not going to repeat that. That would be a wrong assumption. Again, history is important to, important to understand. In 1994, the U.S. Torture Act was created. Now, the U.S. Torture Act was in its heyday between 2001 and 2009 in terms of the, the proliferation in terms of torture committed around the world. Now, we're all aware of Abu Ghraib prison back in 2002, and we are all aware of the horrendous suffering of the people who were incarcerated in Abu Ghraib and the delight of the U.S. military in terms of inflicting harm and uh, degradation on the people who were incarcerated for no other reason other than, you know, the U.S. wanted to send a message to the world in terms of just how ruthless it can be. Now, Interesting enough, when we talk about torture, I got to give Barack Obama, President Obama his due. Uh, he did, in, in, in the midst of all this insanity, he did, between 2009-2017, he did eliminate a lot of those black sites that are responsible in terms of uh, forming and torture around the world. But what he didn't do, certainly his administration, they refused to indict those individuals in the CIA, the State Department, uh, um, Central Intelligence Report, State Department, uh, Defense Department, who were responsible for uh, responsible for torture around the world. His Attorney General at the time, Eric Holder, said there will be no investigation, none, there will be no charges, no indictments, those individuals responsible for torture around the world. 
And again, the world's response to this kind of just wholesale torture was one of, 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 of they condemned the U.S. in terms of this propensity in terms of in terms of in terms of you know the wholesale destruction and and, and, and death. But did that influence the United States? Certainly not at all. Those kind of policies still persist today. They're just not talked about and they're highly in their highly highly classified. Now, in terms of, and finally, Brother Africa, I think it's important we understand that when we talk about uh, crimes against humanity, we have to talk about the role of white supremacy. And that is, that is important. Because through the history of the United States, white supremacy has always been a leading, uh, a, 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 a leading uh, element in terms of uh, dispensation of you know, committing crimes, crimes against humanity. Uh, one of the things we have to say, you know, between 1776 and 1975, Rights supremacy was legally enforced. It was legal. Uh, so we're talking about close to 200 years of legalized supremacy in which it was okay. There was no shame attached to white supremacy. It was justified. It was supported. And it was encouraged. Uh, between 1776 to 1865, uh, after 1865, supposedly we were free people. Well, what happened was we weren't free. We, we, we uh, 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 shadow slavery gave, gave way to wage slavery. So certainly between 1865 to the present, when we talk about the context of wage slavery, uh, one of the things we understand that slavery is certainly legal, if you keep people in bondage in terms of making it impossible for them to, 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 uh, to, to survive in terms of material needs, then effectively what you're doing is you're creating a slave, but you're doing it using wages. And so historically, when we talk about wages in terms of African unity, they've always been very, very, very low. That was no coincidence. Even in terms, even in time, in terms of Franklin D. Roosevelt, in terms of his, his New Deal, uh, African people were excluded from that program because the idea that enrichment or the use of resources of the land to benefit African people was certainly not in keeping with terms of overall ethos of America, which is, which is racist at its core. Now, also when we talk about between 1865 and the present, when we talk about you know when we talk about crimes against humanity, crime against humanity, we have to understand that in, you know you know slavery is is legal as long as people are incarcerated. See, one of the reasons we can we we, we understand why there's there's this disproportionate amount of African people and 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 penal in penal colonies or in penal in penal institutions. It's because you can, ha- you, and under that context, you can use African people's labor to benefit wealth. So wealthy corporations, wealthy individuals can use those individuals to make products to sell on the market, but at the same time, pay those African people relatively very, very low, low wages. We're talking about, you know, maybe a dollar to a day, if that, or a quarter, a quarter a day. You can pay them those low wages, and it's all legal. But the reality is that we understand that's slavery. But it's but in under the Constitution, it is legal to do that. Now, in the general framework, in terms of you know uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. desire, or certainly it's uh, it's propensity, you know, uh, to, to 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 implicate, I mean, to fortify imperialism, has a lot to do in terms of the, the political ethos. Uh, one of the things we have to understand uh, in terms of the, the the development in America throughout the, throughout the history. America has been very, very clear that they have a right to do what they have they want to do when they want to do it against anybody they want to do. And so when you fundamentally talk about the rights of African people in society or the rights of poor people in society, America is very, very clear that those rights don't exist. And not only is America not a signatory to the Convention on Human Rights, uh, it point blank tells you 
that listen, if it doesn't serve the interests of the welfare, if it doesn't serve the interests of the poor or interests of corporations, then we don't support it. They don't hide that. They tell you up front. And so when we talk about the history of America in terms of this in terms of this political ethos, we gotta understand the role of Pax Americana in terms of the overall uh, focus in terms of, you know, what America stands for. Pax Americana simply states that listen, we're here, we're powerful, respect us. Followed by manifest destiny. We say that listen, we go anywhere in the world to pursue our to pursue our interests, and uh, we have that right. So when we talk about fundamental crimes against humanity, U.S. is spring-loaded to actually carry out crimes against humanity. It's built into the system itself, the system not just the imperialism, but the constitutional framework that that justifies or man, or justifies uh, that kind of thinking. Also, finally, Brother Africa, also the Monroe Doctrine, which says that in the context of, in context of America's backyard, it says that those countries, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the hemisphere of the United States are somehow under the, under the influence of, of the United States. In other words, other countries around the world do not have a right to conduct any kind of affairs in the hemisphere controlled by the United States. Only the United States can control that hemisphere. So when we talk about Central and South America, Caribbean, that's America's hemisphere. America dictates what happened in those regions, not anybody else. And anyone else who dares try to interfere uh, will find themselves, you know, um, facing America's wrath. So clearly, brother, brother Africa, yes, you're right. History is important, and without understanding history, then we're doomed to make the same mistakes over and over again. Thank you, Brother Haki. Sister Eleanor, we're going to turn the mic over to you. Can you talk about some of the crimes against our the crimes against you and crime against humanity as it relates to the U.S. government and as well as speak to this issue. Where are you at when some people talk, some people talk about history as being something that you know. If he doesn't know it, then it doesn't exist. But Mike Joe says, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> history is... Uh... As uh, one of the analysts said, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. But the reality is, it appears that since the Europeans arrived to the Western continent, uh, the indigenous people have been set by genocide and crimes against humanity. Uh, the colonist groups uh, orienting uh, from the region of Europe and uh, uh, European meaning, meaning Eastern Hemisphere, uh, during uh, the last 500 years, they've been uh, fighting and destroying the indigenous people. Andrew Jackson was called by the uh, indigenous people. Uh, they called them an Indian killer, using the name that the Europeans had selected for them. The thing that I find interesting is that even right now in uh, states like South Dakota, um, the indigenous children uh, make up maybe 12% of the population, but they're 38% of the adoptions outside of their uh, indigenous community. And we have to understand part of this is because these reservations and many of the treaties are based on um, blood quantum, meaning the how, how much of an Indian are you. 
So part of it may be a sky to take their land away from them. But this, this uh, it's been going on for 500 years, and we see as late as 2017, we see that we uh, uh, the adoptions are continuing in Wounded Knee. As uh, one of the analysts said, the forced sterilization specifically of indigenous uh, black, and it has in quotations, African origin and mixed origin uh, populations inside the U.S. occupied territories of the Western continent, including the territories of Puerto Rico and Alaska, and sometimes extending to outside U.S. occupied territories of the Western continent. And there is this uh, uh, whole thing about white purity and this kind of thing. You see that uh, in the U.S. occupied territories of the northern southern continent of the western continent were separated. Children were separated from their families between 1941 and 1967, and 85% of those children, non-indigenous homes or institutions. They had all these training camps for these children. But the sterilization clinics, in, a re, in recent years, as of 2017, the U.S., the United States uh, had the worst record on uh, uh, of ICWA enforcement. Uh, the worst record was still in the state of South Dakota. As of 2015, uh, indigenous children accounted for, as I said, 13% of the population, the children in the state. Uh, population, yet they represented 56.3% of the foster care population. So it's a cultural genocide. Some social worker goes in and claims some parent isn't doing a good job, and this is happening in the 21st century. So we've seen 500 years of attack against indigenous people. In addition, we've seen the impact, as uh, Brother Haiki said, that we've had, that not we, excuse me, but the United States of America has had in, in Asia, in Cambodia, in Laos, in Vietnam, uh, in, in, in Iraq, and, of course, Palestine, indirectly, but Palestine, as we saw, our pres- as we saw the U.S. president uh, in occupied Palestine uh, uh, this week passed and uh, signs all around saying, uh, Mr. President, this is apartheid. Now, we practiced apartheid here for 100 years. We still practice it, but it's under new names and new sizes, uh, and uh, it's it's a type of wage slavery. So we we, we see... Uh, what happened in uh, Indonesia uh, and then uh, the Philippines and our expansionist activities from 1899 to 1913, the, uh, the government's widespread act of genocide against the people of Southeast Asia. It really began in 1899 uh, during a military invasion of the Philippine Islands and uh, Apparently, uh, 
We killed about 1,600 people, and two people lost their lives while we had our first attack on the Filipinos. And uh, uh, there seems to be uh, uh, a huge land grab expansionist activity that the capitalists need to, one, fuel their factories. So they're always looking for oil and gas. And uh, people have no value. Now, if we had signed the UN agreement, uh, the direct action of physical genocide through uh, uh, catastrophe as well as war in, in Iraq would bring us a, to, would bring the U.S. to any for human rights. Uh, uh, also, what's happening in Afghanistan as we air this evening. Uh, the hunger crises, medicine, the lack of medicine. And they suffered a terrible winter with the lack of heat. Um, our indirect involvement of action of physical genocide through support of governments directly committing acts, uh, 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 primary, the primary example is the support of the Israeli government and this genocidal massacre of the Palestinian people. So, um, and the U.S. Uh, also is incurring uh, the incurring of direct and or indirect accountability for genocide officially referred to by the U.S. government military as collateral damage since the 1991 Persian War, that's what they call what happened to the Iraqi people. And with their, with their sanctions, where medicine, simple things that people need, such as uh, medicine for hypertension, for, for the treatment of diabetes, just for very basic things, the death toll of that is unknown. I read somewhere that between the sanctions and the war in Iraq, brother Africa and fellow listeners and analysts, that a million people died in Iraq. And uh, mm. look at our involvement in the right now in the Russian-Ukraine war, and providing the Ukrainians with all this uh, anti-missile, anti-aircraft weaponry and uh, the impact it had on the war during the first week when uh, the media did not report on the number of Russian deaths or the tanks lost and how many simple facts, like how many, person, how many persons are on a tank and how many tanks were destroyed by the, by the Ukrainians. We don't even get clear facts today on what we're doing, or what the U.S. is doing abroad. And uh, the massacre of prisoners and civilians and the interrogation involved in, involving torture, beating, and killing of the civilians during the Iraqi war, uh, is, we, we don't know. Um, I'm reading here that a total death toll of more than one million men, women, children throughout the island as a result of the U.S. war and physical genocide. Now, I don't even realize what islands am I talking about. It might be the Philippines. I am 
I am not sure, but uh, we, we the U.S. has a long history of uh, of uh, violence, military violence, and uh, aggression, and it started with the indigenous people, and it continues here. We see it. Uh, uh, throughout the nation, if you visit a reservation in the West, the Navajo Reservation, you the housing conditions are shocking. Instead of having adobe homes and traditional Navajo tiers and type housing and being able to have environmentally sound housing, the federal government uh, ships in cinder blocks and archaic, archaic uh, air conditioning systems. So it's not only uh, harmful to the uh, to the Navajo people and their cultural experience, but it's also harmful to the environment. So, um, and the people who get these contracts to 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 build the housing and do these things uh, is phenomenal. They have the 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 Navajo are the construction workers and the low level workers. But the engineers and the architects of these kind of housing and communities are outside contractors. So uh, this is a real problem. And uh, one of our biggest atrocities has been Afghanistan, of course, and the 1991 Persian Gulf War and the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, These are just a few of our attacks against Asian people. Uh, and, of course, the continued support of uh, a Zionist government. And uh, it, it, it's, uh, that's, that's it's, it's physical genocide to catastrophe, war and war crimes and sanctions. That's what we're about. Look at the people of Cuba. And now our recent sanctions against the people of Venezuela and Nicaragua and our own sanctions here domestically with the reversal of Roe versus Wade. So we're attacking women. We we are uh, definitely uh, have a history of uh, genocidal crimes and some allege we've even engaged in biological uh, or uh, other warfare in terms of far beyond the smallpox blanket, but in uh, sabotaging crops, you know, the use of uh, paraquat in in uh, Vietnam and these other cancerous agents uh, for deforestation during the war. So uh, we've been engaged in many types of genocide by definition of genocide as set forth in this article. And uh, the forced location of uh, the indigenous people was just the beginning. We came, it appears that the U.S., Uh, Long before the U.S. was founded, the colonists that came here were uh, killing and attacking the indigenous people. Thank you, Sister Alador. We go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, one of the things we noticed about 
this doctrine of crimes against humanity is actually looks like it has put it in put the US government in history on trial, on a trial. And based upon the factual and actual uh, uh, uh behavior. What is is verdict from your perspective, Brother Moses? What did you take from this article? Mike is yours. The article is well written, well researched. Uh, um, it's a document, I think, of the International Criminal Court. And um, it's well documented that uh, the U.S. is guilty as all sin in terms of uh, uh, exploiting and and, and ex- exterminating and and oppressing indigenous people and people of color. Um, Certainly, like I said last week, we should read Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz, The Indigenous People's History of the United States. That's definitely relevant. And also the government, the reactionary government of the United States of America was reactionary from from its inception. And uh, that's documented in the Counter-Revolution of 1776 by Gerald Horn. And... uh, so, you know, the government, the state, the state uh, is founded on exploitation and uh, it hasn't, it hasn't, there's only been one revolution that emancipated the slaves from chattel slavery to wage slavery. And, but the government, but we need a, a socialist government, a government a social democracy, a government that uh, looks out the interests of the working class and not just the corporate structure and the profit-driven corporations. And uh, this, this, this documents uh, all, there's hundreds and hundreds of atrocities. I mean, you could go on this, you know, we could go on, there's things in here that, that are not, that are, the, yeah, everything is not documented. There's still more that can be done. Uh, but the end result is we must sum up all the details and sum up all the facts and come to the conclusion that the U.S. government needs to be replaced by a revolutionary government. And that's until we get to that conclusion, we really haven't grasped what's being, being said. Thank you. Well, I say an interesting analysis, Brother Moses. We'd like to thank everyone. What we're going to do is we're going to take a rubber spirit culture break. And when we come back, we're going to ask each one of our panelists to give their final thoughts on this article. This is Africa on the Moon.
chains, living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, last through my journey. To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Pellerino. A bloodline across the waters. From Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit. 
did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pelerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Discussing part two of U.S. and crime against humanity. We'd like to encourage all of those who have listened or are listening to this program to check out this document, Crimes of the United States Government. And its subtopic is Crimes of the United States Government from the Trail of Kills to the Invasion of Iraq. It was written by Mark Emanuel, and last updated on the 26th of June, 2016. It tells you who the United States is, and there's an old saying, if you tell you who he he is, then you should believe that's who he is. So speaking to that particular theme, panelists, analysts, I'll actually have each one of y'all last thought on this particular document. Crimes of the United States government from the trail of tears to the invasion of Iraq. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for the night. Talk to us. Um, we found out that apartheid is an organization of racial hatred, and this system attempts to purify one people at the cost of another. It is an unjust and evil system of death and exploitation attempting to thrive on the labor power of black workers and Anglo workers. Black freedom-loving people in the USA will continue to fight beside our Anglo freedom-loving brothers and sisters until this system of exploitation is discredited and abandoned. It is a system which attempts to divide us, leave our children without a legitimate father, and perpetuate anarchy within our family, our nation, and unleash anarchy within the government. The U.S. government is, is apartheid government. It's racial hatred, white supremacy, and white nationalism at, at its core. And so until this system is discredited and abandoned, we will have to continue to fight and build a revolutionary movement from the bottom up. And this is our task. And uh, these these 
these atrocities only document what we are up against. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We're now going to Sister Eleanor. You'll find the thoughts for today's program. You'll find the thoughts, Sister Well, I think, uh, I think in conclusion we need to realize and let our listeners know that the um, uh, Palo Limpur War Crimes Commission, uh, um, KLWCC, convicted uh, President George W. Bush and the former Prime Minister of the UK, uh, Anthony uh, Blair, and the former uh, Australian Prime Minister, John W. Um, Howard, for war crimes, the nation of uh, Iraq. Iraq, in particular, uh, the Abu Ghraib prison, Guantanamo prison, and other U.S. torture uh, prisons uh, throughout the world. Uh, during this uh, uh, hearing, other persons tortured, they were tortured by employees of the U.S. government, the U.S. military, the CIA, the U.S. government paid profit motivated companies such as uh, private military companies such as PMI, uh, such as the Titan Corporation and others. Now, what happened out of that was um, the 84th um, Attorney General, who uh, Eric Holder, had said that uh, when he was asked, because the Justice Department was responsible for bringing these people uh, to justice because uh, what ended up happening was former President uh, w, uh, George W. Bush was convicted in absentia. Uh, former U.S. Vice President Richard uh, B. Cheney was convicted in absentia. Donald H. Rumsfeld, J.S. Big B., uh, of course, the guy who wrote the CIA letter, John C. Yo, uh, Alberto Gonzalez, David S. Ad- Addic- uh, Addison, I think is his name, William J. Hayes, and it goes on. These people have been convicted of, of war crimes. Now, when um, the 82nd, I'm sorry, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder was asked, uh, he said, he stated that the Justice Department does not plan to initiate any criminal investigation as a result of the torture report. U.S. law enforcement sources said, said that it is another nation state file and arrest warrant for the U.S. official related to the, US, the CIA's program. The Justice Department will not enforce it. So the fact that another country, uh, uh, an international tribunal, had convicted these persons of war crimes, it would be ignored. The interesting thing is it was something called the, um, the, the as the article said, there was something called the uh, uh, war, uh, torture report or the war report. But what's interesting is that is a sealed file that will not be available to the public if then until 2028. So the reality is is that, yes, the President of the United States has been convicted of war crimes and tortures in Abu Ghraib, 
Guantanamo Bay and for the atrocities that we've caused in Iraq. Whether or not these people will be brought to justice, well, obviously not. Bush is dead. Rumsfeld is dead. Uh, um, it's, it's that's that that's uh, that's where we are right now. But we should not act as if no one's paying attention and no one realizes what's going on. Um, the uh, the fact that. Uh, the world stood option and the persons in the United States who don't know about it is because we don't get factual news in this country. We don't know what's happening in our country. We don't even know what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine. We know only what we're told and we repeat it as if it's the truth. And we, and we should know as informed persons that we can't be getting the truth because both sides surely would lie, but we're only hearing one side. And so um, and so there are some books out there about the George W. Bush conviction, and it's uh, revealed it's called the, the Boom and Bust of the CIA Torture Site. Um, there's another one called the Guantanamo Bay Naval Base Prison, and then of course Abu Gray and other black sites. So I mean, this article is not only interesting; it tells you the the people who were convicted and the organizations for profit. These profit-making organizations, employees of the U.S. government, who participated in these. Uh, in this torture of Iraqi citizens. And as you know, the article had numerous photos of of the torture victims uh, uh, being bitten by dogs, forcing to stand around in the nude, just horrible things, electric shocks. Uh, we, 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 we saw it all. We read it all. And uh, it's a, uh, a fascinating article. And uh, these companies, the fact that they make a business out of, out of uh, torture and violence is, uh, is uh, hard to believe. And even after joining the, the Obama CIA into the CIA's torture program was investigated during the Barack Obama administration, uh, the U.S. Senate Select uh, Intelligence Committee, the SSCI, produced uh, uh, about 6,700 pages, as I was saying, um, and, uh, and and it intends to be kept as classified, unavailable to the public until at least 2028. Um, um, this uh, what they did do is in 2014, the uh, Senate committee, the acronym for the Senate committee is SSCI, the U.S. Select, uh, um, U.S. Senate Select Intelligence Committee, produced a heavily didactic uh, version of its executive summary of 525 pages titled "The Committee Study of the CIA." In an interrogation program, and 
the source for that is the CNN library. And uh, uh, and the UN uh, um, special reporter at that time on counterterrorism and human rights as a matter of international law said the U.S. is legally obligated to bring those responsible to justice. The U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder is under a legal duty to bring criminal charges against those responsible. But uh, Eric Holder, as I stated earlier, said he would not. Uh, he would not. And uh, uh, one minute, Sister Eleanor. One minute. Well, uh, impunity for uh, officials and former and current uh, U.S. officials. Only a few servicemen got low-level charges. Um, some people were convicted, but of low-level charges. And uh, uh, the U.S. charged uh, with serious violations of national and international law seemed to be acting without impunity, uh, with with impunity, rather, I'm sorry. And uh, I just want to thank you um, for another wonderful show. And uh, people, we can see that uh, some action was taken by by the citizens of the world and that we will and that the citizens of the world democratic loving people people who love freedom of the people will not stand for the situation that occurred in Abu Ghraib and uh, Guantanamo the Guantanamo prison and other torture sites um, nor the kind of actions that we took in Iraq. So with Thank that, you, I say to you good night uh, to our listening audience and fellow panelists and to you, Brother Africa, and thank you for uh, another fascinating show and wonderful, uh, well-researched material. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Anthony. My final thought for tonight is that uh, is that we must study our history and our history uh, of the world, and we must teach it, and we must share this information with our people, and we must get better organized in order to defeat imperialism and all of its manifestations uh, wherever in the world it exists. And that the only way to to avoid uh, these atrocities from occurring in the future is for, for us to be educated about them and to learn about them and uh, pass it on as our ancestors would say, and join an organization that is working for people's liberation, such as the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. And you can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-dc.org. Thank you for having me, and thank you to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and Brother Haki, you find the thoughts. 
Yeah, the, <clears throat> the article we discussed, you know, underscores, you know, why is indifference to life so commonplace in the United States? Uh, you know, Brother Africa, I'd like to believe that this indifference to human life is an apparition. But the reality is that many people in the society support this, this, this callousness or this indifference. Now, I highlighted two examples in terms of the indifference to human life, and I certainly think people, I certainly hope uh, people would uh, would uh, take this very, very seriously in terms of what I'm about to, what I'm about to, what I'm about to uh, entail. Now, the first example is six years ago, Mars Candy Company was aware Skittles candy contained titanium dioxide, a food additive, and this is according to a lawsuit currently in California. Now, dioxide is used in paint, adhesives, plastic, and roofing material. Now, titanium dioxide is so so destructive, it is possible to actually uh, destroy or change human DNA, destroy the human brain, destroy the human organs, and and, uh, also responsible for lesions on both liver and kidneys. Now, interestingly enough, uh, uh, Mars Company says, you know, its use of titanium dioxide is within Food and Drug Administration guidelines. Uh, Obviously, uh, the focus is not on human life. The obvious focus is on profitability. Now, if we contrast that with terms of behavior of the European Union, they banned this, this substance back in May of last year. And the second example, you know, in terms of this kind of callousness or this indifference to human life, revolves around Governor Mike Parson of Missouri. He signs a law criminalizing homelessness. Now, it's a felony to sleep under overpasses, bridges, or any state property. He even mandated state attorney generals can sue any state officials who does not comply. And part of the punishment entails taking away money from pro, from, from, pro, from from programs for shelters or un, unhoused services. He's also stipulated that people seeking shelter must submit to mental health and substance abuse evaluations. Of course, most people who are homeless suffer from that. If you live on the street, of course you're going to suffer from mental health and substance abuse issues. That's just a given. Um, the reality is it seems like his real motivation is to essentially make it almost impossible or difficult for homeless people to secure shelter by creating these criteria, which would essentially exclude them from, you know, being uh, being placed in shelters. Now, he also stipulated that the homeless people, if they're caught in these, these state, these state uh, areas, uh, they can be fined $750 if the homeless people got $750 on them or 15 days in jail. Ironically, incarceration disqualified people from housing, both subsidized and unsubsidized. And obviously, 15 days in jail doesn't serve the interests of, of, of the homeless. It serves the interests of, the, of uh, people who invest in, 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 court, in, in penal institutions and jails. But so clearly, this indifference uh, is something that we should be concerned about. So when, we, when we, so when we look at this indifference, clearly, when we look at corporate America, this kind of indifference is reflected in everything corporate America does. To the extent that we internalize or accept this kind of indifference, acquiescing and going along with this kind of indifference under the guise that as long as we benefit, we will persist in doing so. We have to understand fundamentally, if they can do that to the most vulnerable people, they can do, they can do that to anybody. And we have to understand that. And saying that, Brother Africa, I think is key to people understanding, you know, it's key, it's paramount that we unravel the matrix because the changes that are taking place are astronomical and fast. And if we don't think, if we don't, really, if we don't understand at this point in history 
that the situation with our people, the situation for poor people generally, but specifically African people, and I said specifically African people, because unlike gay people who can hide their sexuality or Jewish people who can hide their Jewishness, African people don't have those luxuries. You can't hide. So the situation for African people is perilous, and we have to understand that. We need those institutions. We need those organizations to understand this stuff very, very clearly. We must formulate plans in terms of what are we going to do in the foreseeable future. And that's not, and that's not, uh, that's not some, uh, uh, that's not some um, uh, erroneous uh, 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 idea. That is very much grounded in reality in terms of how capitalism works. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Haki. I'd like to thank all our political panelists and analysts. I'd like to thank those who have listened or are listening to this program. And we'd like to encourage you to continue to join us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Spread the word. Let's be our audience. Let's come together. We have unity of thought so we can produce unity of action. And put the two together. We are basically talking about just getting organized. Let's get organized. As a nationalist, for those who are planning on going on our freedom ride tour to Cuba, it has been rescheduled. It was January the 23rd to the 30th, 2023. We have been giving some additional time to get the necessary resources to come and show your appreciation for Cuba and to the Cuban people, for all that they have done and continue to do for Africa and all the humanity. And like always, this is the ending of part two segment of U.S. and France against humanity. France and the United States government on the trail of till to invasion of Iraq at Mop Emmanuel. It was last updated on June 26, 2018. Check that out. It tell you who the U.S. is and the U.S. tell you who they are. So if they tell you who they are, you need to believe them. But until next time, we're going to continue to go forward with Alvin Black and Mellow and leave you with some music or inspiration for liberation. This has been Brother Africa and Africa on the Moon. We'll see you next week. For more than 30 years, the Piscataway Indian Nation singers and dancers have been touring the world in an attempt to break stereotypes and educate others about the history of their people. Their leader and narrator, Mark Tyak, is the son of a 28th generation Piscataway chieftain. When his father passes, it would be his turn to lead his tribe. During a ceremonial war dance, James Edwards displays the American Indian virtue of mercy by not striking his target. Steve Conway demonstrated what is called a men's grass dance. These were often used by American Indians to flatten grassy plains before making camp. Here Eagle Boy Co. leads sophomore elementary education and engineering major Melissa Zichkowski in a rabbit dance, traditionally done by couples. Conway took the stage yet again to demonstrate a ring dance, an age-old tradition of forming shapes with rings, things like eagles, turtles, and the world. Co. performed an eagle dance, while Tyak explained the origin of the term Indian as it is used to describe Native Americans. The term came from Columbus, who, after being taken in by natives, affectionately dubbed them Indios, Spanish for in God.
needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed, plant the seed of love, and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone, so all the world will know that Palestine Needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine. Palestine needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love.
That's, up That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yes. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that's mm-hmm. his music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. Glenn Beck is a racist. Got the strip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? Too many cops involved, out of them planes. Using depleted uranium. Babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal. And nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate, and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man Neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face He said, fuck it, I'll do it A master of the skies, expert at telling lies Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize Should've known he was trained in Chicago Where the chairman Fred and Mark Clark What they do in the dark will come out in the light Like a WikiLeaks site So I guess the crew was right, who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism, I ain't kidding In the immortal words of Marvin Gates, this ain't living Like... 
trip was getting bomb. Obama didn't say shoot. The Jonas brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. <laughs> you will never see it coming. You think I'm...
Africa is where my heart lies. 
history a lie. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive, who be on the internet trying to divide? And use a hotel hustler, trying to be a people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree, and we ain't gotta tear our own down. Argue in silence, or forever be our own downfall. All I wanna say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale, and the devil is a fake. Argue with the silence, but don't let it seal our fate. Hide behind doors, but don't ever show our face. Cause if mom had Twitter, Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Should be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter, and Malcolm had Twitter. It be our own people do the trolling. Should be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we been lied to, most of our freaking lives Henry are coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man laid dead in the street today I must have hung my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I want to get high today. Got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I wanna live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us Cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. And landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. Since the man can't 
I remember Marvin Gaye used to sing to me. He had me feeling like black was the thing to be. And suddenly the kettle didn't seem so tough. And though we had it rough, we always had enough. Off the buff about my curse, you were broke the roof. Went with the local crew and had a smoke or two. I realized mama really paid the price. She nearly gave her life. My buddy lost his whole family It's gonna take the man in me to conquer this humanity It seems the rain will never let up I try to keep my head up And still keep from getting wet up You know it's funny when it rains and pours They got money for wars but can't feed the poor Said it ain't no hope for the youth And the truth is it ain't no hope for the future And then they wonder why we crazy I blame my mother for turning my brother into a black baby We ain't meant to survive cause it's a setup talked today about students beginning their careers, we've talked about correspondents ending their careers, we've talked about the names A.J. Liebling and I.F. Stone have come up. Uh, one of the things I'm...
hablamos y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. Bad cop, where's your humanity? Good cop, cop, is that just a fantasy? 
Depot Already know, Craig, I let the brick go Black Lives Matter, it's not chit-chatter Cause all they wanna do is scatter brain matter A mind is a terrible thing to waste A nine is terrible in your face The mace has a terrible fucking face The pen is a terrible fucking place The kings all hate the fucking ace The judge sabotage my fucking case Racist motherfucker
I want to get you. Father, lie you. I will. punish me. I will. I will. I punish me. I will. I punish me. I will. I will. I punish me. I will. 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 I
I'm going 